Acts chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1. Just stay seated. We're not going to stand again. We've already done that. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and begin where we left off at, what we were doing last week with this text uh, leading up to this moment. And listen to what it says. I've already read it once, but listen to it again. Acts 2 and 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week we left off with 120 waiting on the promise. What was the promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise that the Father had given. The promise that the prophets had given. These promises were given throughout the Old Testament. They were given to us in the New Testament by Christ himself. And if we sing the song standing on the promises of God, right? Yes, we sing standing on the promises. These were promises that the Spirit would come. And so we know that all of God's promises are yes and amen. And so they were waiting for the promise. There was 120 waiting by faith with expectancy that the promise would come at any time. They did not know when but they knew that it was promised to come. And so they waited. We learned that the promise was the gift of the Holy Spirit. We learned that its purpose was that it would truly be God with us. And I praise God for that because when Christ left, he said this. Listen to what it says. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14. I want you to turn with me. I love to hear pages flipping. If you're on your phone, that's okay. Uh, But I, I do like to hear pages flipping. John, and I I want them to flip so loud that the people on the internet can hear it too. John 14, listen to what the Word of God says when you get there. You should be stumbling up on that page right about now. John 14, he says this, 15 through 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Boy, isn't it nice to have a helper? It's nice, isn't it? Man, I'm telling you something. Let me just stop for just a moment, and I want to share this with you. My oldest daughter is 13, Anna. She loves when I talk about her in service. Uh, At 13 years old, she's shaking her head no. But I love to have a helper, and since all of my children... With the exception of my baby, all of them are girls. They are older. I've never really used them outside very often. And the other day I was thinking to myself and I said, you know what? Anna's 13. She's, a, she's however many pounds. She's 5'2 or 5'3. I know she's loving this right now. And I said, I bet she can hold a weed eater. Because I had work to do. And I needed a weed eater. And I need somebody to man that weed eater. And my five-year-old son couldn't very well do it. Six now. He couldn't very well do it. I needed help. And so I asked my daughter, I said, Anna, I said, I'm going to start it. I'm going to get it going for you. I need help. Daddy needs help. I got work to do. I got to get it done. She grabbed the weed eater. She picked it up. And she commenced to weed eating. I said, do it just like this. And she got after it. And I just stood there. I mean, I was shocked. I was like... Whoa, she can do it. Now she knows she can do it again. (laughs) 
But I needed a helper, you see, and, and, and we do, we need a helper. And this is not just a helper in a sense that they just come alongside of you and help you a little bit when you need it. No, the helper that we're talking about here is the helper that is going to not only help us, but is going to lead us in all that we do. So listen to what he says here in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Forever. See, Christ couldn't stay there forever. He had to go and he was preparing their hearts. And he says, I have to leave. But I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send the helper. And see, Jesus was the helper then. He was with them. He stayed with them. He walked with them. He taught them. He, 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 was, he was their everything. He was their everything. And so now the Spirit of God has come to be that for us until the Lord returns to take us home. Listen to what it says. And even the Spirit of truth... Verse 17, he'll be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Another purpose for the sending of the spirit was to glorify Christ. Listen to what it says in John 16. Turn over just a couple of pages with me. John 16. To glorify Christ, to give him all the all the praise. The Spirit was given to give all the praise and to bring glory to Christ. Listen to what it says in John 16, 4 through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. He's saying, I'm fixing to ascend up, is what he's, gonna, what he's saying in 16 here. This is for the, before the crucifixion. And, I've, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it is expedient that I must go. I have to leave. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Pay attention to what's fixing to happen. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Spirit, just as Christ heard from the Father and spoke, the Spirit is going to do the same thing. 
And these three agree perfectly in unity as one. Verse 14, it says this concerning the Spirit. He will glorify me. You see that? He will glorify me. In other words, he will bring me glory. The Spirit of God that will bring me glory. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Turn back with me to the book of Acts in chapter 2. We know from last week that another purpose was that for the, for the sending of the Spirit was that the gospel would be preached throughout all nations. And we're going to get into that aspect a little bit further as we go through this chapter. But what we have to remember is that this third person of the Trinity is God. He's God. And we forget it. We forget that at times. We forget to talk about him at times. He is God. He is very much God as Jesus is God and the Father is God. And they are beautifully one. He is God. Make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit is not just some errand boy sent to run an errand for Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is God. And we must remember that. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Not in a temple made with hands. That is to say, within the walls. But within us. That is His desired home now. In us. The Holy Spirit is the same now as he was when he moved across the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1. Remember that? And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters and God said, let there be light. See, the Spirit has always been. He didn't just show up in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit has always been there. Remember, Scripture teaches us that the Lord God Almighty is immutable or unchanging. And glory be to God today that He is, that the Holy Spirit of God is with us and will be with us forever according to what we just read in John chapter 16. That He will be with us forever. Before we understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand a little bit about Him. And too often that's neglected in the churches, and I'm even guilty of it. I love to speak of Christ in His, in his hands, His feet, His brow, his, the crown of thorns. I love to speak about His blood and what He's done for us. But we can't neglect the work of the Helper, the work of the Comforter, the work of the Great Teacher that was sent in His stead to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We can't forget that. Just as much as the Father is God, just as much as the Son is, the Holy Spirit is as well. These three are one. And so here in Acts, we're going to see an abundance of the Spirit 
poured out upon the church. Remember what were they doing? They were organizing themselves, weren't they? In the first chapter, they came together and they were in unity and they were in prayer. They were worshiping in the temple or rather the outer courts and the women were there. The men were there. They were all doing these things and they were edifying one another. But they were getting their business in order. What had happened? Judas, his office needed to be filled, didn't it? And so what they do, they then prayed to the Lord and the Lord showed them when they cast lot, the Lord showed them who to choose to fill that role for the 12th apostle. And so they were getting their business in order before the Spirit of God came. This was important because once he came, it was going to pour out beyond measure. And they needed to be in order. We spoke about that. We have a lot of different names here giving to this, this day of Pentecost. Uh, there's, there's a couple of different names here that I want to talk about for just a second that we'll go into in our Bible discussion tonight a little bit more on. One of which is Shavat, and the other one is the Feast of Weeks. Shavat and the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost. They're all referring to the same day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. And I, we usually don't turn this much, uh, but I want you to today. Leviticus chapter 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Let's hear them pages turning. Come on. Leviticus chapter 23. To get a clear picture of this day to get a clear picture of the Holy Spirit and what's going on throughout the text. We can't just single out the New Testament and say, well, it's all there, so we're just going to stay there. No, we have to look at the Bible holistically. We have to see it as it was in the Old Testament. We have to see it as it is in the New Testament. And we have to look at this thing as a whole, not just a part in the New Testament. So listen to what it says in Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, 15 through 17. This is where we begin to see the origin of this particular day take place. Tonight we're going to look at what they did on that day. But it was a, it was a feast, it was a, it was a day of celebration. And listen to what it says. I'm not, going to the, I'm not going to Mount Sinai, okay? Not right now. We'll talk about that probably tonight. But listen to what it says in 15. Leviticus 23 and 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with, note, with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. This is Leviticus 23, 15 through 17. 
The Lord had his festivals. He had his feast days that the people were to have. There were holy convocations, days that were set aside for worship, days of the year where offerings were brought and he was worshiped. These were festivals. And you see where it begins with the Sabbath and the Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. And we've already went through first fruits. Jesus already rose from the dead. And so here we have the 50 weeks, or the Feast of Weeks, 50 days from the time of Passover. This is where Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, comes in at, or Pentecost. So this is its origin. We know that its origin is found and contained within the law of God. This is important that we understand as well because Moses did receive it on top of the mount. He received all of these things on top of the mount. And they were to be carried out throughout all generations. This is where we see its origin. So Pentecost meant 50 days from Passover. This was already one of God's appointed feast days. And too many people leave out the Old Testament and they leave out the festivals and the feasts and they forget the significance behind them. But I just want to share this with you. Do you know that God's people then, they were happy people? There was festivals that they actually went to. Every year they looked forward to the days that they would go up to Jerusalem and celebrate each festival. They would bring their offerings to honor the Lord with. We talked about the Feast of, of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And when I first came, I had a tabernacle or a booth sent and it was or, uh, built and it was put right here. And we looked at it, we, we taught on it for several weeks. And what a joyous occasion it was because the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. These feasts, they all meant something. And so it's no coincidence that the, that the greatest thing, one of the greatest things that ever hit the planet, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was to happen on a feast day. That's no coincidence. Because it does. It happens on that 50th day, 50 days after. This was a festival for the people. Now the Lord is really going to spice some things up. He's really fixing to spice some things up. People from everywhere would have converged on Jerusalem, this small city. They would have converged on Jerusalem. Each feast, people by the droves would have came in from all the different areas and from all the different gates. They would have entered into Jerusalem. They would have come in with their offerings. They would have come in ready to worship, ready to praise, ready to sacrifice. And so here, on the day of Pentecost, there were all these different people that were Jews. All these different ones that spoke all of these different languages. That stemmed all the way back to Genesis 11. When the Lord separated the people because of their wickedness and gave them different tongues, now he's fixing to bring them back together by the Spirit of God. And so here we have this. 
people converging on Jerusalem. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived or fully come, the feast day of the Lord. It had already been put in the law to celebrate as one of God's festivals for the people. So the prophecies concerning this day are now finally coming to pass. The prophecies out of the Old Testament. As I said, just as the virgin birth of the Messiah to to his perfect life, his death, his burial, we know that he rose from the dead on the third day to his ascension and then to the giving of his spirit. These days were fixed in history to come to pass. They were promises that would come. You could mark it down. The scripture teaches us that the Spirit would come. Teaches us that Christ would be born of a virgin. And all of these things, these are promises and prophecies that, that promises and prophecies that would have to come to pass. And we know that they did come to pass. So let me ask you a question today. If we believe that, and we believe that the Lord is true, immutable, unchanging, a a, a promise keeper, don't we also believe that He's going to come back for His church? And if that's the case, don't we need to be ready? Unified? with our wicks trimmed and our lanterns full, is that not right? And so here in our text, in Acts chapter 2, we have a unified body. A unified body. And I cannot stress to you the importance of a unified body. It says they were all together in one place. All together in one place. Being all together means not just being here together in one place. It doesn't just mean that. Because there's people here today, but their minds can be somewhere else. Their hearts can be running from the Lord as fast as they can be, and they can be sitting on the pew. These things are true, right or wrong. Listen to what it says in the Scripture. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. It means that they were in one mind and in one accord. It means that they had the same mind. We know the verse, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? A hundred and twenty of them were agreed. A hundred and twenty of them were walking together. A hundred and twenty of them were in the same place at the same time, praising, praying, worshiping the Lord, waiting for the promise. Do you understand how much power there is in unity? We've all seen churches split, haven't we? Yes? It shouldn't be. Churches shouldn't split. We have the greatest thing that's ever happened. We have the love of Christ demonstrated through the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be in one mind, in one accord. 
And I think for the most part we are here at Grace. But there are things that we can do better. I spoke in Sunday school this morning to everybody that was in Sunday school about the, about the apathy that's taking place in the churches across the globe right now. Bester is from South Africa and he told me the same thing. Apathetic. Christians that are apathetic right now in the church. It just shouldn't be. We should all be in one mind. They were all praying for the giving of the Spirit. They were praying with expectancy by faith. They worshipped together. Do you remember when Elijah prayed? He prayed that it wouldn't rain, but then he prayed that it would after he killed the prophets of Baal and got rid of the wickedness. See, a lot of that is contingent upon us removing the wickedness out of our life through the help of the Holy Spirit before we can see these big things move in our life. These prayers move. Elijah prayed after removing that idolatry from the top of that mountain. He prayed. And when he prayed, he bowed his head and he put his head between his knees. And he told his servant to go and to look for rain, to look for the clouds. He said, I hear rain, go tell Ahab. Tell him what's going on. Not a cloud in the sky. But Elijah prayed with expectancy. By faith, he prayed with fervor. He prayed expecting that it would rain. This is how much confidence he had in the Lord. So the early church prayed the same. The early church prayed the same. They prayed for the Spirit to come. And we know that the Spirit did come. It's time that the church gets serious about prayer. That the church be serious about sin. It's time that the church be serious about their Christian walk. And guys, I'm going to tell you, just as I told the ones in Sunday school this morning, if we become apathetic, not caring, to the mission that the Lord has called us to do, then all sorts of stuff will come in the church. Mark my words down. It will happen. It will absolutely happen. But there's not enough that can be said about unity in a church. Unity. You see this in the early church. They were all rowing the great gospel ship. They were all rowing in the same direction, weren't they? They were going the same direction, rowing the same direction, putting out the effort the same way. Expecting by faith. Let me speak about something really quick and then I'm going to be done. I don't have much left. They were moving the same direction and I want to talk about that. The scripture teaches us that even the gates of hell will not prevail against us, right? 
A church that is moving in the same direction. What happens in a boat when the people in the boat row in opposite directions? You just don't go anywhere. It's called a doldrum. That's what it's called. A doldrum. They get caught in a doldrum. They can't go anywhere. It's a state of inactivity. It's a state of being stagnant. It is a state of, of not moving, not accomplishing. That's what happens in a boat when one person rows against the other person. The early church wasn't doing this. They were all rowing in unison at the same time. They weren't apathetic. What happens in a boat when a person lays down the oar and the other person begins to row on that one side? They go in big circles then, don't they? What's the definition of insanity? And expecting a different outcome. So how can we expect the church to move forward if people drop their oars? How can we expect the church to move forward if people are rowing against each other? I'm not saying that we're doing that here, but if the Lord is prodding your heart that you have dropped your oar, or that you are rowing against the common goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would examine your heart and straighten it up. Have that come to Jesus moment where you realize that, hey, I'm not in sync with the church. I'm not in sync with what God has called us to do as a local assembly to move in a general direction for the goodness of the kingdom of God. I'm going against it. Or maybe you have become apathetic and dropped your oar and are letting everybody else do it. And what happens when that takes place? We go in a big circle. Expecting a different outcome year after year after year after year. But always coming back to the same place. The script, not the scripture, the song says, We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. Not in circles. You notice in the song it also says marching. It means they are doing something moving forward. And so what we have here in the early church, what we have before we even see the Spirit fall, is there is a unity in the body of believers. There is a unity there that they were all singing. They were praising God. They were worshiping Him. They were praying. They had the same mind. They were in one mind. They were in one accord. They were rowing the boat in the same direction. We have to ask ourselves the questions. Am I pulling on my own oar? <laughs> Am I paddling with everybody else? Or have I dropped my paddle and let somebody else do it? We have to ask ourselves the question, are we paddling against the grain? Or are we going with the flow of the gospel of Jesus Christ the way that it was intended? Am I just on the ship for a ride? 
so I can feel the breeze or am I actually doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we working for our shipmaster, which is Jesus? Or are we working for ourselves, which is idolatry? What are we doing? So these are things that we have to ask. We see in the early church, guys, in the early church, in its infancy. Now, don't get me wrong. We, there's, there's always been the church in the Old Testament. There was the people that truly loved God, that worshipped Him. But I'm talking about the New Testament church. When the Spirit overwhelmingly just poured out on people. We must ask ourselves these things. Are we in unity as the first church was? I've heard a lot of people say, we got to get back to the early church. we got to meet together, break bread together, and give everything to one another <laughs> before any of that can take place. Divisions and unities and all of these divisions and, and all of these different things have to be done away with. Everybody has to be on the same page. And i got good news this morning for you. I truly believe that, that we are on the same page here at Grace. I believe that. But we can do better. Right or wrong? We can do better. We can all row our boat oars a little bit harder. We can pick them up and not sit them down. And we can do better. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. After all of this, after all of this unity, after they had gotten the church right, after they had figured out the twelfth apostle, they were all waiting with expectancy, with hearts full of love. They did not have bitterness. They were not clamoring against one another. It wasn't until then. And then, and suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done with that this morning. This, this is not, by the way, this is not a rebuke to the church unless it fits your bill. It fits mine in a few places. Um, it's true. The scripture is true. We, the early church was unified. And for it to do the work of the gospel, that, that gospel ship, for it to move forward, the people must all be pulling on the row at the same time. That oar. At the same time. They've got to be pulling on it. We've got to be working together. We've got to be doing this work of the church together. I'm not talking about outside work. I'm talking about spiritual work. Work that will not burn up one day. Work that is not wood, hay, and stubble. Work that has been proven, tried, and true that is refined seven times 
That's the type of work we need to be doing. Spiritual work. And so today, as I I close, in closing, let me say this. The early church was unified. I believe we're in a a pretty good shape there uh, as being unified as a body. But I do believe that we can do better. If this doesn't doesn't fit you, I praise God that it doesn't. If you're doing what you're called to do, I praise God that you are. But don't grow complacent. Don't grow weary in doing well. At the right time, we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. This is God's promise. Pick up your oar, pick up your paddle, and start working again. The early church did. Let me ask you the question, will you? Let's pray.